Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Good morning and welcome to Market View. I'm Michelle Martin. Joining me now as we break down all the market action, he bought his first stock in October 2010. And look at him now, the dividend titan himself, Willie King. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Michelle. Always good to be here. Do you still have that stock, by the way? (laughs) I actually sold it off and then I bought it back again. (laughs) So yes, I still own that stock and it's in my portfolio. Fantastic. And what is it? I would be remiss as a journalist if I didn't ask what it was. Okay. Is. This one, this one is probably something very controversial and not many people would actually accept it. Mm. This is something which, um, you know, it's more of a vice stock. Okay. Something which you sort of... Uh, okay, got it, got it. Got it. Out. Okay, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sharing. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, we are in the midst of corporate earnings season and, you know, I like to sort of Group it all in one sentence because I'm a linguist at heart and then have you guess what I'm talking about. You know, guess which companies or brands I'm talking about. So, here we go. Yesterday after work, I was going to do some shopping but instead I took a taxi to Sentosa. Can you guess which three companies are in focus? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to guess here. Genting Singapore. <laughs> Are you going to gamble? Are you going to pay and gamble at Sentosa? Do you do that? No, never. I, I did it once. I walked into a casino. I had a set budget, Willie. I lost it all in five minutes. So, Gunting Singapore, you are correct. Comfort Delgro and Metro are in focus. Let's start with Gunting, Willie. Reporting a jump of nearly 60% in net profits for the third quarter of this year. Just what is powering Gunting's strong performance? Mm. Very surprisingly, Genting Singapore's quarterly sales increased 33% from a year earlier and its net income also surged close to 60%. And really, this came on the back of the reopening of the economy. You have tourists coming back, you know, you have the mainland Chinese, you have the Indonesians all coming back, you know, to have fun and entertainment in Singapore. And this has resulted in having a very bumper earnings for the quarter for Genting Singapore because once upon a time, I mean, years back, um, you have Genting Singapore struggling, you know, fighting against like the China corruption clampdown in the mid of 2000. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also have the COVID pandemic and that have also struggled for getting Singapore. And at the same time, at one point, they wanted to actually buy or bid for a casino in Japan, but that didn't really turn out. So this might have actually come for um, sort of a surprise or a positive upside for the casino itself. And according to City, um, they are also looking to see a, an increase in dividends, which could be a reason for investors to buy on this stock. Investors certainly applauding the news. Gunting Singapore was the best performing STI constituent yesterday. By far, its shares jumped by more than 10%. Next up, I'm going to look at Comfort Delgro because it netted nearly $50 million in the last quarter. It's up more than 50% from a year earlier if you look at it. So what's strikes you when you look at Comfort Delgro's latest numbers? I mean, this is this is definitely one of the leading transport companies in Singapore and across the world as well. So you have Comfort Delgro, which posted a 54% rise in net profit for the third quarter ended um, 30th September. This was much higher than $32 million from a year earlier. And really, this came again on the back of, you know, the reopening of the economy. Uh, people are starting to move around again. And of course, you also have tourists traveling within Singapore itself. So this is one thing which is great for Comfort Delgro, considering the fact that they are also competing 
with your other platforms like Grab and other um, online public transport companies. Uh, so this is something which is pretty interesting. And what is surprising as well for ComfortDelGro because one at one point, you know, it had a drop in dividends during the COVID pandemic and it has sort of slowly reinstated their dividends. So that has sort of, again, attracted, like Genting Singapore, probably attracted investors back into the market for these shares. Mm, Zig, its ride-hailing platform now has a platform fee on it and it says that it's slightly ahead of the crowd in terms of market share. Comfort Elgro's business may be up, but its share price has been trending lower over the past week. Still up 6.5% though from the beginning of the year. That's Comfort Elgro. Our third company in focus this morning is the retailer Metro. Unlike at Gunting and Singapore, I don't think Metro executives are smiling this morning. Profits at the retailer are down more than 50%. Willie, what's the story here? Yeah, I think this is really a specific um, a play here where you're looking at Metro where they have reported a net profit of $8.2 million, which was down 50% or half from $70 million from a year earlier. And this was really due to a lower gross profit from its retail division, as well as a share of its associates' fair value loss adjustment to its UK investment property. So revenue for the half year declined 7% to 50 $50 million and revenue from its retail division fell 3.6% to $45 million. So what was interesting here is that uh, Metro, you know, on one hand, you have the retail not performing, but another hand, it it was also, you know, trying to buy out a commercial space. Um, and this was something more opportunistic in this case. Uh, it, has, it has actually bought a 20% stake in a grade A commercial space called Vision Crest Commercial. Um, Metro Holdings, you know, largely, by and large, if you look at its balance sheet, um, it does own its retail departmental stores, but at the same time, it's largely a property developer or a, a property investor. So they, they are actually buying out some of these uh, companies and they don't just own assets in Singapore but also um, in other parts of the world like for example in China in Hong Kong so Metro Holdings you know while we are looking at retail but they do also have some cash uh, some assets um, on the balance sheet where they can deploy some of their liquid assets to buy out some of these properties Mm. Yeah, Metro has said it intends to build its presence and investment in the region through selective positioning, new investments in quality properties and strategic alliances once to broaden its revenue stream there. Metro will not pay a dividend for the first half of the year. I understand it pays dividends at the end of the year, end of its financial year. Uh, its retail business may be down, but it is expanding its property holdings, as you heard, acquiring a 20% stake in an office building on Orchard Road called Vision Crest Commercial. Okay, Willie, if we zoomed out for a moment, what sort of insights are you gleaning from the earnings that we're looking at? Mm. So I think this really comes on the back where you are looking at while everyone is sort of jittery about a potential recession come next year in mm. 2024. But at the same time, if you look at Singapore, right, this is really a an open economy where you sort of can guess where when the economy starts to open up again, you have some of the retail sectors, the hospitality, uh, you have offices also, you know, coming back, sort of coming back alive. I mean, just now when we have went through Comfort Delgro, Metro Holdings um, and Genting Singapore, where their profits have sort of turned better as compared to a couple of years before. So this brings me to a point where, you know, for Singapore, it's really the, 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 the driving of the tourist coming into Singapore to spend. And again, as investors, when I'm looking at such um, um, signs or trends, 
it's very um how how to say it's very comforting because I do know that despite all doom and gloom sometimes what we need to focus on is looking at some of these businesses because a lot of times we might get too uh, engrossed with some of the short-term news, the noises. But in fact, these are real businesses making profits mm-hmm. in the long term. And if you think about it, 5, 15 years from now, you know, they could very much still exist because these are the ones where they are in the entertainment, they're in transport, which are part of the daily essentials which we all need. All right, from Singapore, where things are looking comforting, we zoom over to the U.S., where one of the biggest big box retailers, Home Depot, is reporting earnings. Clearly, glass half full, half empty story. Home Depot's sales numbers are down, but they've still come in above expectations. Will you fill us in? Mm, Home Depot's quarterly sales dropped 3% from the year-ago period. and However, it has topped Wall Street's expectations as customers have chipped away at a more modest projects and home repairs. So the CEO, Ted Decker, said that while consumers were still committing to smaller projects, Home Depot are seeing some pressure in certain big-ticket items, discretionary categories. So same-store sales for big-ticket items have fell 5% from a year ago. And I guess, you know, on one hand, you have... 15 years ago, you know, you look about where interest rates are lower, people tend to save more. But now, where you have the US economy, where interest rates have gone higher, people are refinancing with a much higher mortgage rate. It seems like people are sort of tightening their pockets. Instead of spending more more on discretionary items, I guess they're probably saving in this case. So that sort of leads to the reason why the sales have sort of fell marginally about 3% as compared to that year ago. Home improvement moderating. In the earnings call overnight, Home Depot CFO said that he thinks the worst of the inflationary environment is behind us. That's a great segue to my next topic, which is the latest price data to come out of the United States. The Consumer Price Index checks in at 3.2% for the month of October. And as I referenced at the start of things, this is the lowest level in two years. So a couple of questions about this for you, Willie. What strikes you when you look at this data? And is it safe to say that these numbers will reduce pressure on the Fed to raise interest rates again? Yeah, I think that's a very good point. And this is something which I've also asked or interviewed some of the strategists, uh, some of the economists um, on the morning show. And what I've got, you know, on one hand, you have interest rates having peaked and also that expectations that actually interest rates could actually come down next year. I mean, you, if you look on Wall Street, a lot of the banks across all the major investment banks, you have Goldman Sachs, you have UBS, Morgan Stanley, they have all, all, all expecting interest rates to fall with UBS being the most aggressive where they're expecting interest rates to go down by 2.75%. So this sort of means that um, inflation could actually start to normalize here and they're expecting inflation to continue to go, to, to go down comfortably. But on, that's on one hand. On the other hand, if you see, it's probably easier to see how inflation have come down from about 9% last year to about 3 plus percent because a lot of the increase in inflation was a result of the supply chain disruption during the COVID pandemic. However, if you see that supply chain has sort of eased and you can see that huge huge decline in that inflation um, has sort of worked out well as Fed increased uh, inflation uh, interest rates. However, this disinflation has sort of slowed down considerably because it's not that easy from what I've heard to reduce 
inflation from 3 plus percent to 2 percent here. Mm. And I've read on one of the memos, you know, one of my favorite investors, Howard Marks, he thought about this topic called sea change, mm. which means that the environment which we are living today is very different from the environment which we are living 15 to 20 years ago, where interest rates was much lower, inflation was much uh, lower as well. Because times have changed. Number one, you have technology coming in, costs are going up. And at the same time, he expects interest rates to sort of normalize at a much higher level. It probably wouldn't be in the close to a high of the 1980s, but he will expect it to be at least, you know, one or two percentage point higher mm. than it was, you know, say 15 years ago. Yeah. And this is really driven by a slightly high inflationary environment. Mm. I heard a similar argument from Simon Baptiste recently live. He's a chief global economist for the Economic Intelligence Unit saying, you know, we need to get used to this idea that zero interest rates are just over. We're not going back to that era anymore. And that rates are expected to stay elevated till at least the middle of 2024. All right, investors certainly think, though, that the Fed is less likely to raise interest rates again. The Dow Jones Industrial Average climbed nearly 500 points overnight to chalk up a 1.4% gain. S&P 500 Nasdaq did even better. S&P 500 finished up 1.9% while tech stocks led the Nasdaq to record a 2.3% rise. Okay, it is time to turn to corporate share buybacks. Now, we've been talking a lot about this in recent days. Yesterday, for example, I focused on companies like local ones, Semcorp Industries, Raffles Med group, they're buying back their own shares. Today, I'm going to turn to Japan, where the country's biggest banks are announcing plans to boost shareholder returns on the back of soaring profits. Mitsubishi UFJ Financial Group, Sumitomo Mitsui, and Mitsuo Financial, they're all announcing share buybacks or higher dividends. Most of our headlines outside of you know, emerging from Japan have focused on the weak yen. So tell us what is driving profits at these Japanese banks? Mm. So for this, for the Jap- Japanese banks here, the reason why you know, they have, profits have been doing so well was really because of the benefits of the bank's overseas, overseas expansion. So this allows them to generate profits overseas, allowing to take advantage of the strengthening of foreign currencies against the Japanese currency. Because if you look at the Japanese yen, it has actually traded at one of the lowest points this year. And year-to-date, it has fallen about 13%. Uh, and over the last two years, down about 25% against the dollar. So if you see, again, over the past decade, Japanese banks, Japanese companies, they have been very actively going abroad to buy out businesses, trying to expand overseas, really to take advantage, number one, of the very cheap borrowing costs back in Japan, back at home, and at the same time, deploy all these uh, this proceeds, these assets or capital overseas so that they can get a much higher returns, much higher yield here. And this really reflects um, some of Japan's largest banks being able to you know, have pretty healthy profits for its latest quarter. What do you make of uh, the share buyback programs and do you think that this should attract more investors? I mean, that's the thing, Michelle. I really don't understand why Japanese banks are doing a share buyback. Most of the time, if you see for uh, for banks in general, they typically don't do share buybacks, number one, because they already have very little what you call equity Mm. or your net worth of the business. So as you buy back more shares, what this means that you are increasing the amount of liabilities vis-a-vis to the equity of your balance sheet. So Mm. this makes the bank slightly more leveraged here. And Japanese banks historically have been, usually have a lot of liabilities 
because you know they they tend to actually borrow interbank from other banks as other Japanese banks as well. So buying these shares back, I don't think fundamentally would really help um, the business itself or the profitability of the business. But what I think it's probably trying to support how the share performance for these Japanese banks instead. Interesting. All right, time for corporate news. We do it up or down style. Let's start with C Limited. So C Limited is a down for me. So this is a Singapore-based company. We all know that. C Limited has swung back to a loss in the third quarter and really they've been hit by more intense competition from some of its peers, including Alibaba and TikTok. And the thing about C is right now, you know, with um, video-based streaming services coming into the foray, coming into the scene, I think this is putting a lot of pressure on C Limited itself. And it doesn't really help that its founder, Forrest Lee, is trying to actually focus its attention or putting in more capital allocation on its Shopee business, which hasn't really done well so far, mm. instead of trying to deploy money into its more profitable business, which is the gaming business. Forrest Lee's company C fell back in the red last quarter. You remember that, but lost nearly 144 million US dollars. Investors were expecting a profit, and when they didn't get it, they sold off. C shares plunged 22% overnight. What a drop. That's definitely a down for C Limited in my book. Let's look at China's 10 cent music. I think this is a bright spot for China so far. I mean, after all the not-so-good headlines which I've been reading, Michelle, um, China Tencent Music has beat estimates for its third-quarter revenue. So this is an up for me and really driven by steady growth in paid subscriptions on its music streaming platform. So Tencent Music, which includes platforms like QQ Music, uh, Kuo Music and WeSing, you know, they, they have been able to grow uh, in terms of their live co- concert streaming services. Indeed. So more people are buying subscriptions to listen to Tencent Music. The company beat estimates for the third quarter, even though its total revenue dropped 50%. Uh, Tencent Music has been reportedly winning over listeners by bundling everything from karaoke platforms to live concerts, streaming services. So the story is a little bit mixed for Tencent Music. It beat expectations, but still records a big drop in revenues. So for now, I'm going to give the company an up. I agree with you, Bright Spot here. <laughs> Let's bring the conversation to Singapore with the engineering services counter, Boosted Singapore. Okay, this is this is a kind of a mixed one for me because... Before before we started Market View, Michelle, I was thinking whether I should put an up or down for this. <laughs> but for me, I'll go with an up okay. after the engineering services has proposed an unconditional cash exit offer for its real estate unit, Bowstead Projects, at $1.18 per share. So this was a 24% increase from the previous unconditional general offer of $0.95 cents per share. So I guess this is probably good news for investors. Yeah, it's an up for me as well. Look at their profits. Jumped nearly 20% during the first half of the year. The company's been business is growing. It is also recording a big jump in interest income. So, an up for Boosted Singapore from me. Golden Agri. Golden Agri is a tricky one. For me, it's a down. Palm Oil Company has posted a 25% declining profit for the third quarter and the 30th of September to $68 million. And, you know, the thing about Palm Oil Companies, Michelle, Mm. that these kind of companies tend to be very cyclical. 
So you could expect on one quarter having good results or the next quarter they are down in profits because things are pretty seasonal, especially, you know, if you're looking at companies like Golden Agri, First Resources, Wilma, you know, these are the companies, even though, you know, when you're looking at these are the big giants and they're the major players and they'll provide one of the most important ingredients to, you know, our food ingredients like our cooking oil, your butter. Instant noodles. Your, exactly, instant noodles. Mm-mm. But we also still have to remember the fact that, you know, for these guys, they tend to be cyclical in play here, really because of the seasonality of the business. Agree with you. It's a down for Golden Agri. Lower palm oil profits clearly eating into Golden Agri's profits. If you just joined us, they dropped 25% during the third quarter of the year. Good to have you with us here on Market View. Time to check in on local markets now. The Straits Times Index tested support at the 3100 level yesterday. STI lost a bit of ground, but still finished above that mark at 31. 104 DBS SIA they were the worst performers amongst the blue chips they each fell about 1.6 to 1.7 percent on the other side of the table we've already talked about Gunting Singapore uh, Sats and DFI retail also higher saw gains of three and a half to four percent all right he is Willie King blistering half hour I've just spent with him you can read more of his views at the fantastic blog dividend titan Dot com, right, DT? Yes, Michelle. Thank you so much. I mean, it's always been a pleasure to speak with you. And I always enjoy this conversation here. <laughs> Me too. I walk away <laughs> with a lot learned. Appreciate it. Willie King there. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.